Welcome to Solas and Science, a faith-based podcast from the New Chemist Podcasting Division. It highlights the rationale of the Christian faith, leading books, authors, and thought leaders in Judeo-Christian thought. Keeping in mind, sola scriptura, sola fides, sola gratia, sola de gloria. Welcome. And these views reflect those of my guest and I. Today's episode, we will focus on key ideas from a sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church, uh, particularly on January 2nd. 2022. The text of focus was 1 Samuel 1 verses 1 to 20. The main idea, God's purposes being accomplished then and there, are his purposes accomplished for us here and now. So looking at this closely, the introduction, we see the city of David in 2 Samuel 5 and 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Let's now in. Dr. Elliot Meza secured a place in the archaeological dig in Jerusalem for David's city, which was where David himself lived in 1997. From the Jerusalem Post, Mazar further hypothesizes that since in 2 Samuel 5 and 17, it is written that David descends from his residence to the citadel, David must have come from the north. The north, she explains, is the only direction that he could have come down from since the rest of the city is surrounded by valleys. Elliot Mazar in 2005 on findings in Jerusalem. The biblical narrative, I submit, better explains the archaeology we have uncovered than any other hypothesis that has been put forward. So let's keep in mind the science for today's episode is based in archaeology. Archaeology is very significant. We tend to focus in on ancient archaeology, but archaeology has a lot of significance even now, especially in Egyptology and a variety of other regions where the archaeological digs have led to us better understanding civilizations then and understanding how far we've come to now. So, Beginning in 2022, let's have as much confidence in our Bibles as Elliot Mazar does. You might be surprised what you uncover if you put your full trust in it. So today we're going to be talking about three main problems, the collective, the individual, and, in, and the application. There is a problem for Israel, for Hannah, and then for us as readers. The collective problem and the individual problem will both find their solution in an ultimate king that they must wait upon to arrive. The solution to the problem for us is actually the same king. So though we have three problems, we will find that Jesus is the one solution. The collective problem, period of the judges. Context is Judges 21 verse 25. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. For Samuel, next in history. The Ruth comes in middle. Let's zoom in on this example. In the time of Judges, there was not a whole lot of faithfulness or devotion to God. This period of history begins with Israel not conquering the inhabitants of the land it was supposed to possess. Because of the disobedience, God enacts judgment on them for not listening to him. Cycled of repeated unfaithfulness and frustration of Israel, 
serving Baal, Ashtaroth. God not allow Israel to triumph, but rather suffer against surrounding nations. They would cry out to God, and God would raise up a judge to deliver the people, and then they would forget God all over again. So let's look at Judges 2, verses 19 to 23. In 19, we see, but whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Verse 20, to the anger of the Lord was king against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice. Verse 21, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. Verse 22, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hands of Joshua. This wasn't sustainable, as things were actually getting progressively worse as Israel wandered further and further from the covenant the Lord inaugurated at Mount Sinai with Moses. Something was going to give. God said he wouldn't abandon his people, but they were definitely cruising for a bruising. That's what Judges 21 sets up. There's something ready to happen. What was God going to do in order to bring his people back into conformity with the covenant that he established for them? The last judge is about to be born. And the book of Judges, when it says there was no king, is anticipating what might come next. So the collective problem is that Israel is devolving into disobedience. And there is no king to rule them and righteously bring them back to God. Let's look at the individual problem. Hannah's barrenness. Hannah is anxious and vexed, verse 16, that she cannot have children. Her housemate and Elkanah's other wife, Penaniah, with Jerita, which added to her grief. Because of this, Hannah poured out her soul to the Lord. Hannah is in anguish because of fertility issues. And many of us can sympathize with that, considering how she endured torment. Perhaps you can relate to it as well. Elkanah tries to cheer her up, but this is not enough at best, and misguided and harmful at worst in pretending that he can replace this deep desire that Hannah has for children. Yet the point of Hannah's thread of the story is not strictly metaphorical, but is inscripturated, inscripturated because of its significance, both literally and figuratively. It's a microcosm of the situation of Israel overall. But it's not a literary device. It's the way God works. Hannah is barren in the same way that the nation of Israel is barren of faithful offspring. This foreshadows um, the book of Samuel. The connection between Hannah's local situation and Israel's larger situation is brought out in other ways too. Hannah's request for a son also anticipates the remainder of the book in other ways. When God grants Hannah's request for a son, the narrator finds in it an, in it an artistic prefiguring of the larger story and how and why God grants a king to Israel. That's from Longman and Dilly. It is the same word requested or asked that is used when the people ask for a king. And the same Hebrew word that is derived for use in Saul's very name. So let's look at the point. Though it might seem that way on the surface, God hasn't left the Hebrews barren 
at the end of the time of the judges. God grants a gift, not only to Hannah and Elkanah, but to all of Israel, which will soon become a kingdom. The birth of Samuel gives us a glimmer of hope to Israel, as God has plans to make them great and bring blessing to the world through them. So the problem in application, not prescriptive. Uh, I don't think that we should take this text as um, strictly prescriptive. This is my view. It is in the history of God's whole kingdom plan. This is a telling story, not making commands. Um, so it would be a problem to take this text and say, go and do like Hannah did. That's what I personally think. We can note this is a narrative, just like the book of Judges. And there were many things that were described in this format in the book that I wouldn't say are modeled for us to follow as well. We have to understand the text and its context and God's will for us in our situation. Where Hannah is right, we can eagerly and with anticipation ask for good gifts from God. Luke 11, verses 9 to 10. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. In other words, if you, like Hannah, have a deep desire in your heart, make your request to God with faith and expectation. But Hannah bargains with God, essentially, which is not advisable. God's grace to us is a free gift, not a result of our actions or works. So to make a quid pro quo with God is to be honest, treating him much more like a genie than like the Holy God who saved us through the blood of his son. And even still, some will be troubled in listening to this text. It does do exactly what Penaniah did to Hannah. It provokes you. It is easy to question, why doesn't God listen to me? Why is God withholding from me? Where is my relief? Hannah got a yes. Where is my yes? Many times we feel as though we don't hear from the Lord or we hear a no, even when we are attempting to be faithful. What does this say about us? Let's look for clarity. As for God, God's purposes may not be fully realized in our here and in our now. This ties to the already and not yet ideas. They may be postponed and withheld now in our circumstances. Just as Abraham who was promised well, the promised land and got to visit it but not take possession of it or even before the fall god withheld the fruit of the tree of life even though it is a good tree as some may consider god is almost certainly drawing your attention to himself so that he can be your blessing perhaps he can demonstrate his grace much greater to you and to the world, through your faithfulness, when you do not receive what you desire. So what we, what we can take away from this is, you know, some may phrase it as not, not so much God withholding from them, but God redirecting their focus, given that the fall of man occurred, and for them to eat of the tree of life at the time would not have been beneficial to them, given that they were fallen. So, ladies and gentlemen, Let's keep our focus on Christ. Transitioning to the main point, but from another perspective, God's purposes being accomplished then and there, God's purposes accomplished for us here and now. God's purposes being fulfilled anywhere are proof that God's purposes are being fulfilled. If it's true that God is real and that he is bringing his kingdom to bear through any small means in a single family, 
and God's purpose is true globally. Now that isn't precisely a comforting word. I think that it frames for us what we should look to for comfort when something becomes challenging or we don't receive what we request in faith. Theologies are good. However, scripture and what we can understand from personally reading it is even good. Equally as good, I should say. Look at what God has already done in history and even in your life. Let it be a lens to view your grief and sadness through. Lastly, it simply cannot be said that we have weak faith if we receive a no from the Lord. We do not have weak faith if the answer God gives is no. There is not a direct relationship between getting what you pray for and the strength of your faith in your heart. It's not a direct relationship. It may be correlations, but not a direct relationship. Solution for us, Hannah and Israel. Solution for us is in the person of Jesus. So what then is our solution? If we can't read Hannah's prayer as normative, how should we read the text? I recognize that my response does not speak to the pathos or even despair of some of the problems that may be upon you or us as you sit and, uh, as you sit and listen. But for us, the solution is to read the text within the light of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of God's overall plan. So we can look to the ultimate time in which God's purposes were accomplished, read this text remembering when the virgin mother despaired of her son's death, but the death was reversed in Christ's resurrection. The cross and his resurrection, basically the center of all history. God's purpose being accomplished, even if it was just that single time, is enough for us to rejoice. Now I'll speak to the pathos. It is not an easy pill to swallow, I humbly admit. God's mission is not to make each believer the life a bed of roses, but for us to become more like Christ. It is to bring the whole world into fellowship with him. I am convinced, though as we become uh, frustrated, we receive the reward of face-to-face -face fellowship with God. It will be the cause of the greatest joy we have ever experienced. That is the hope of our faith and the future of our redemption. The solution for Hannah. For Hannah too, there is more than, there's more to the fulfillment of our request than just giving a child to an individual mother. This child Samuel would become the judge who brings Israel into conformity with God's worldwide initiative to bring a blessing to the world through a called out people. Hannah was rightly vexed that she was barren and that she was being tormented by the other woman in her household. It is very understandable that she cannot be consoled by just the love of her husband's kindness. But her greatest problem was that there was no king in the land in those days. And this is where Jesus as a solution for Hannah overlaps with the solution for all Israel. Solution for Israel, same as for Hannah. Israel as well as Hannah needed a king who would reign over them righteously and defend them and grow them into a great and blessed nation. A king who would not just act as a king, but act as a priest for them and speak the word of the Lord to them as a prophet as well. Hannah's child Samuel would not be, would not be that king. Samuel won't even anoint the final king. The final king was yet in the future for Hannah, for Israel, and even for Samuel. They had to put their trust in the Lord to bring them that king until the time was fulfilled and the kingdom was at hand. The figurative barrenness and desolation of Israel would come to an end with the Messiah, Jesus, the final king. 
it was this Malahana, this child, this time, this place, that would be a moment that God would use to lead to this Messiah. This is a story of redemption, just like the mothers of Jesus that were so crucial to the story of redemption from Advent. Barrenness and redemptive history. When God provides offspring for barren women, it comes in heightened moments in God's overall plan of redemption. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mother, the Shunammite woman of Elijah's time, and Israel prophetically pointing to God's overall plan. Isaiah 54 and 1, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. This small story from the transition period of Judges to a national kingdom of Israel, which is a massive moment in the Lord's overall redemptive story, is a place where God opens the womb of a barren woman miraculously to show that he is doing something great in Israel. He is doing what humans cannot do for themselves by the power of his grace. So as we conclude, we need to be careful to not overapply and take out of context scripture. Anna was asking about for a child, and it's important to understand the significance of this text in terms of our personal situations. God's purpose is being accomplished then and there, as his purpose is accomplished for us here and now. When we read the Bible, especially when we read it for devotions in the morning or evening, likely on our own, we can easily slip into, how does this relate to me? A me-centered reading of scripture, uh, almost in a sense, um, how do I fit into the picture? Just making the scripture I exercise in selfishness. Um, but let me suggest that in 2022, as we read our Bibles for ourselves, in whatever way that might be, let's look for the truth that is much bigger than us. Let's look for the principles and purpose associated with the scripture in context and understand how God is speaking to us his word let us look for the framework of salvation that points to jesus let's look and see how scripture points to jesus it exists in every book of the bible in a unique way let us not only think how does this affect my daily living but let us think how does this text provide the backbone of the story of god bringing the whole world into conformity with his great and blessed covenant under the headship of jesus our risen lord and we let the story of god's salvation be the norm and the lens to which we read our own life stories we come to see how faithful God is in bringing us his promises. My prayer for us and for myself today is that we learn how to harmonize and work with the music that God has preordained for our lives. The highs, the lows, the staccatos, the marcados, whatever the case may be, the rest period, the Sabbath. Uh, let's try and harmonize and work along with the master conductor, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name.